Good morning, everybody. I just need to say that it's just a joy to be with you. And uh, that song was just something else. And I'm sure that uh, there are many here that one could ask because God has changed your lives and you could be a witness to that fact. My subject this morning is the peril of unawareness. And it's taken from the book of Hosea, chapter 7. Before we read the text, I'd like to give you a little bit of a background, uh, the setting for the passage that's before us. For 50 years, from approximately the 8th century, that's 800 B.C., Israel was relatively free from conflict from her enemies. Not so today. But then for 50 years, relatively free from conflict with her enemies. First, the the problem with Syria was gone. Then Assyria. And then followed by Egypt. And so for one of the few times in her history... Israel was free from outside interference. And these factors enabled Israel to reach the second most prosperous time in her history, exceeded only by the time of King David. And one would expect that these circumstances would have transformed the society of Israel. However, just the opposite was the case. Fifty years of prosperity... Fifty years of forgetting God. During those years, the middle class disappeared, leaving only the very rich and the very poor. And terrible injustice became widespread. The rich gained the upper hand and took advantage of the less fortunate. Religious activity increased, but it was the wrong kind. It was mere pretense. There was murderous intrigue in the palace of the king. And our text that we're going to read is a terrible text. It's terrible. Because the national strength is slipping. And the nation is being destroyed. And there is a terrible unawareness of what is going on. If you'll read with me Hosea chapter 7, and I'm not going to read the whole thing because uh, of the time constraints that we have, but uh, let's just break into the reading chapter 7. And if you would please put your pencil in Hosea chapter 7 because I will want to refer to it from time to time. Let's just read beginning with verse 3. With their wickedness, they make the king glad. Can you imagine that? And the princes with their lies, they are all adulterers. They, like an oven heated by the baker who ceases to stir up the fire, from the kneading of the dough until it is leavened, on the day of our king, or his birthday, the princes became sick with the heat of wine. He stretched out his hand with scoffers. 
For their hearts are like an oven as they approach their plotting. Their anger smolders all night. In the morning it burns like a flaming fire. All of them are hot like an oven and they consume their rulers. All their kings have fallen and none of them calls on me. Ephraim mixes himself with the nations. Ephraim has become a cake not turned. Strangers devour his strength, yet he does not know it. Gray hairs are also sprinkled on him, yet he does not know it. Let's pray together. Father, as we approach a text like this, Lord, we're constrained to say, Oh Lord, help us. Help us to be aware. Help us not to be, not to forget. Help us not to pretend. Help us to be honest, to be real. Lord, thank you that you're the God that can help us as Randy sang sang earlier to start again. So, Father, we just pray your blessing on us this morning because we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There's an old Arabian proverb that goes something like this. He who knows not and doesn't know that he knows not is a fool. Shun him. He who knows and knows that he knows is wise Follow him. It's a very interesting proverb, isn't it? In studying the book of Hosea, as well as studying any other book in the Bible, it is well to look at the various figures of speech, the metaphors and the similes. And these metaphors or picture or pictures uh, in themselves are little like little miniature parables. Uh, and Hebrew poetry is full of them full of these brief stories and the prophets made great usage of them. And the book of Hosea particularly is full of these. And I'd like to just look at a few that were taken from our reading this morning. Uh, Verse 4, They are all adulterers burning like an oven. And this undoubtedly speaks of lustful passions which are now openly being practiced. Verse 8, the first part, Ephraim, and Ephraim was the leading nation of Israel, mixes himself with the nations. Instead of turning to God, Israel turned to Assyria and in short order adopted their social and cultic customs. Israel has no convictions of her own. And this has left the people neither one thing or another. They were neither hot nor cold and uh, were nauseating. And the church in every age seems to know this temptation. Verse 8, the latter part of verse 8. And as I uh, knew I was going to be speaking on this passage and as I had verse 8 in mind, I, I made some um, waffles yesterday morning. And I was thinking I better not cook them only on one side. And I almost did. One side was almost burned and the other side wasn't done. 
And that's the picture we have here. Israel is a flat cake, not turned over. Burned on one side and not cooked on the other. Israel should have turned to the Lord and she should have, but she did not. She remained with her sinful, wrong choices until she was ruined or burned. Now, twice in this verse, verse 9, we see the problem of unawareness. Strangers devour his strength, yet he doesn't know it. And gray hairs are sprinkled on him, yet he doesn't know it. I want to give you one more picture in verse 16, which I did not read. It says, they are like a deceitful bow. The bow is not merely weak, it is warped, it is unreliable, and Israel fails to accomplish the goal set before her. She either falls short of the target or wide of the target. Israel cannot be depended upon to do the right thing. And it's that little parable there in verse 9 that I want us to think about this morning. Strangers devour his strength, yet he does not know it. Gray hairs are also sprinkled on him, yet he does not know it. And as I said before, in many ways this chapter, I believe, is one of the most pathetic chapters in the whole of Scripture. It's a pathetic condition when an individual or a nation continues to lead a deluded life a self-deceived life, and doesn't know that he is deluded and self-deceived. Can you imagine that kind of condition? It seems apparent that many people in the world today are living in a fantasy, either because they are incapable of recognizing reality or because they do not wish to cope with the real issues of life. Sometimes we think that we're pretty strong, but our strength has been sapped by wrong relationships. Our strength is sapped because strangers have devoured our strength. And you know what strangers are? Strangers are wrong relationships. Strangers are people who are not believers. And I'll just sum it up again by saying wrong relationships. Strangers. And they sap our spiritual vitality. We had a neighbor who after his daughter graduated from high school, he filed for divorce. And this caught his wife completely by surprise, she said. And I can't imagine how that could happen. That is, that you would be caught by surprise. For some, there's an unconscious decaying. And for others, there's an unwillingness to face reality. And for still others, it is clever and smart to cheat and lie, thinking that they had put it over on the other person. And all they are doing is adding to their own decay. 
And of all of the perils that confront us, there is no condition quite so serious to our highest well-being than that of not knowing the decay that may be in our lives. When we purchased the house that we now live in, one of the things that we asked for was a home inspection. We asked that uh, we have a man who was a builder, an engineer, and a certified home inspection specialist. And this man came over and for about four hours looked over our house. He gave us a verbal evaluation and then we later received it in writing. And because it was an older home, there were some things that needed correction. But there was nothing major. And the important thing was that we were aware of what was wrong and how it might be corrected. I think that when Hosea wrote this chapter, chapter 7, that he wrote it with a sob in his heart as he looked at the nation and as he preached his heart out to that nation. And they said, well, we don't need your message, Hosea. We're okay. But they weren't okay. Verse 1 of our chapter, this chapter 7, summarizes the decay in Israel. And just notice the, the words that are used there uh, in that particular chapter. We note the word iniquity. Now, this is in my translation, which is the New American Standard Bible. Yours may say sin. Uh, iniquity, you know, is uh, twisting the truth to make it appear that it's all okay. Iniquity. And then evil deeds and falseness and thieves and bandits at loose throughout the land. And this is a summary of what is going on in Israel during those 50 years of prosperity. And Hosea speaks to the nation. He speaks to its leaders, to Ephraim, the leading and most influential tribe of Israel. Hosea speaks to the seat of government, which at that time was in Samaria, in northern Israel. And who will, leave, who will hear his message? Hosea leaves no, no one out. He wants all to listen. There is a crisis of the Spirit. But the response is negative. The people are going on their merry way, unaware of their need and unconscious of their peril. There is cheating and lying and drunkenness and filthy stories. There's adultery and idolatry. There's intrigue and murder. There are seven kings that are murdered. If you notice verse 7, it speaks about the kings that were, were killed. And uh, let me just name those kings. There is Nadab and Zimri, and Tibni, and Jehoram, and Zechariah, and Shalom, and Pekahiah, and Pekah, great names. And they're all killed by their successes. They're assassinated. This is what was going on in Israel. Now, in spite of this obvious decay, Israel was not conscious of her hour of need. And you notice the last line of verse 7, and none of them calls on me notwithstanding what's going on, none of them calls on me. Now, as we think about our text, 
I want us to think about three things in the time that I have left. The cause of this unawareness. Secondly, the consequences of unawareness. And then I'd like to think a little bit about the cure. The cause of this unawareness. First of all, I, before I begin, I'd like to make a brief comment on the two figures that are used in the text, verse 9. Most men that I know readily admit that they can no longer do the things they did when they were younger. I know I can't. There's a certain amount of lost vigor that seems to occur about the same time that the gray hairs appear. I I wonder if anyone here who has gray hairs doesn't know it. I don't think anyone here would claim such ignorance. We always discover gray hairs. We discover them and we have a a big variety of reactions to those gray hairs. You know, sometimes we laugh at them. You know, I got a gray hair. Uh, We hide them. We pull them out. We dye them. But regardless of what we do, we know they're there. Now, I'm not going to talk about gray hairs, really, but rather the serious condition concerning which having gray hairs suggests to us in our chapter. How can it be that people are unaware of that which is so clear to others? Now, I'd like to suggest a few causes for this unawareness. A person who is unaware of his own spiritual and moral decline is a person who repeatedly violates what he knows to be what he knows to be true and right. I, I deny that which is true. I deny that which is right. And at some point, as we continue to do that, we will develop what the Scripture speaks of as a seared conscience. A seared conscience is a conscience that is beyond feeling. We no longer feel the need to do the right. We no longer feel the need to speak the truth because our conscience has been damaged. A person who is unaware of his own spiritual and moral decline is a person who doesn't really know what a spiritual man is like. And I'd like to make a few suggestions of what a spiritual man is like. A spiritual person is one who is seeking to live according to the biblical pattern. And I'd like for you to turn to Ephesians chapter 4. And verse 1. We could spend a great deal of time on this one verse here. Verse 1. But uh, I just want to very briefly point out something here. Paul says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. 
And the picture in verse 1 is, is, is of one of those old-fashioned scales, you know, where uh, they weighed things. And the picture here is the calling of God on one part of the scale, and the other side is my walk. When they're in balance, the Scripture calls it worthy. In a manner worthy. That is a spiritual person. When we are walking per our spiritual calling, then we are walking worthy. A spiritual person is one who is seeking to become by the grace of God like the person of Jesus Christ. If you want a verse for that, Ephesians 4 verse 13. A spiritual person is a person who has a passion for God. Now, we could talk a little bit more about any and all of these things and, and some more ideas. But, again, let's continue. A person who is unaware of his own spiritual and moral decline is a person who has no respect for God. No respect for God. He is a person who kills his own leaders, verse 7. And this is a figure that we might think of as one who has no use for authority. One who wants to do what he or she pleases in life. It reminds me of people who said, you know, we don't want this man to reign over us. A person who is unaware of his own spiritual and moral decline is the person who renders himself useless. Verse 8 Here we have the picture of the pancake burned on one side and uh, uncooked on the other. This is the person who has hit the bottom of the barrel. This is a figure of someone or something whose purpose is unfulfilled. Well, what are the consequences of this unawareness? Devoured strength and gray hairs are really a reminder of two things at least. Devoured strength speaks to us of weakness and inability. And the gray hairs tell us that time is running out. Time is running out. These two factors are true in the physical. And I, as I said before, can personally attest at least to the decline of strength. When we mix too freely with strangers or unbelievers or the wrong crowd, we lose strength. The Scriptures continually remind us that now is the time. Now is the day of salvation. Time is running out. And gray hairs speak of that. We are to work for the night is coming. The harvest is past, the summer is ended. And the Scripture says, and you're still not saved? How come? How come? How come you haven't turned your heart to God? How come you haven't repented? Unawareness is dangerous. Well, what's the cure? There is a compelling need for honesty, to be authentic. And God is looking for reality in these secret places. 
Now, I want you to look once more at chapter 7 and verse 14, where it says, They do not cry out to me from their hearts. I think this is saying to us what God is looking for is a person who cries out to God from the control center of their lives. From the seat of the will, a crying out to God from the place of affection. Another thing that God is looking for in terms of a cure is a straight shooter. Verse 16. Israel is characterized as a faulty bow, unreliable, missing the target, can't be counted on. How would you like to go through life missing out on God's best? You do with a faulty bow. You do miss out on God's best with a faulty bow. The, the bow was to protect yourself. The, the bow was to be used to uh, uh, hunt game and f- for food. The, this was to help and instead, it's unreliable. What's the cure? Remember the story of Samson in Judges 16? And with this, I want to close. You all know, I believe, that Samson's hair was not the source of his strength. His strength was the vow. The promise he had made to God and Samson's hair was simply a symbol of that vow. And while he was asleep in the lap of a stranger, lulled to sleep by his sinful relationship with Delilah, while he was lying on her lap, other strangers came and cut off his hair. The symbol of his vow is cut off. And he lost his strength. He broke his vow to God. What do we learn of a cure from the peril of awareness from this story? First, keep away from sinful and harmful relationships. Keep away from impure loves. Keep away from the mammons that threaten our relationship with God. You say, well, how? Psalm 119 and verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? It's a nice question, isn't it? The answer is by living according to your word. We need an anchor. We need the pure truth of God. We need a sure and changing word in which we can put our trust. Another thing I want you to notice about this story of Samson is, uh, is the grace of God in verse 22. And there it says, Samson's hair began to grow. It began to grow. It's as if his relationship with God was being renewed bit by bit. And as I thought of this, I asked myself, why make a point of the obvious? When you cut hair, it grows again. And most people, it grows. And the dumb Philistines weren't smart enough to keep Samson's hair short. 
This is the grace of God. And the implication of Samson's hair growth is that his strength was also returning. What's the cure? Getting back to the Word of God. We need to be people of the book. The cure involves confession and repentance. It involves a recommitment. It involves a giving up of the idols in our lives. It involves making God the center of our lives. The last thing I want to mention is maybe my most favorite verse in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 10. And there it says, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. It's only God's grace. Pure and simple. And this morning, God's grace goes out to us and asks us to open our eyes to the great gift that God has given us. Namely, the gift of forgiveness of sins. A relationship with God Himself. A member of His family. And on and on it goes. I trust that uh, God will open our eyes so that we may see. And that we might be delivered from the peril of unawareness. Strangers have devoured his strength. And and he doesn't know it. And gray hairs are sprinkled here and there. Yet he does not know it. May God deliver us from the peril of unawareness. And turn to the one who can set us free. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we give you thanks in Jesus' name for your grace to us. Lord, uh, help us to uh, hear your word. Help us to read your word. Help us to see in it, Father, the, uh, the truth. Help us to see, Father, how it exposes the peril of unawareness. And we pray, Father, for each one here today that we might uh, all respond to you with a pure heart. Lord, uh, we want to remedy our faulty bow so that we are the right kind of people. So, Lord, we just pray your blessing upon us. Dismiss us now with your blessing. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.